we didn't have the means to, uh, but now we do. It's like, we're allowed to, and we can, and it's like, yeah, a ton of people are out, but at the same time, it's like, we want to be faithful to what the Lord's called us to do. Uh, and so even if it can't look like what it normally looks like, we want to be sure that we're being faithful to do what God calls us to do. And um, look, like the local church gathering is the one place where Christ says that he is present with us in a really unique way. The Bible says that he's present with us as a church, as Christians, in a unique way when we gather uh, for worship on the Lord's Day. And it's where the truths of who Jesus is become really tangible to us as God's people, where his promises like strengthen our faith and feed our souls and make us more like Jesus. And so uh, we wanted to make sure to not neglect that. Um, but at the same time, we are scaling, scaling back like quite a bit. Um, so we're going to start with uh, just one song. Uh, on the front end. Uh, Courtney's going to lead us uh, in, a, in a song. I'm going to lead us in uh, after that in just like a, a short devotional uh, through John 15, almost like a meditation on John 15. Uh, and then we'll close with communion uh, and two songs uh, and, uh, and then get our healthy selves on out of here. So um, yeah, I mean, we'll still, we'll still be here. We'll still be hanging in and stuff like that. But um, yeah, given our personnel, that's what our setup looks like for this afternoon. So yeah. um, with that, I'm going to ask Courtney to pray for us, and then we'll get started. Dear Lord, I just um, am so grateful for each person that you've brought here tonight. Um, I thank you for each person who is at home um, watching this service. Um, who is not feeling well. I thank you for each person who's going to watch or listen to this service later, Lord. Um, you have divinely ordained for each one of those souls to um, hear your word preached. And um, we just thank you for a new year, Lord. Um, we thank you that you don't need a new calendar year to um, give us a fresh start. Um, that your mercies are new every single morning, Lord. Um, and so I just pray that as we spend some time just reflecting on your work in our lives over this past year and looking forward to how your Holy Spirit will be shaping and molding and um, encouraging us in this next year to come, Lord, I just pray that you would fix our eyes on you that you would be the source of um, everything good in our lives, that we would learn to um, know you more fully and more deeply over this next year, um, that you would equip us to serve one another. So as we um, just start this service tonight, Lord, I pray that you will uh, give us grace and um, just ability to be able to worship you together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Would you guys pray with me again? Um, Father, we thank you so much uh, for our church family. Uh, again, we just pray for everybody that is sick, everybody who, for one reason or another, could not gather with us here in person uh, this afternoon. Uh, and God, we are um, just confused uh, by uh, how to um, just how to uh, just just gather and be careful and be mindful and be prayerful. Um, but we are trusting God that you. Are sovereign. You are always in control. None of this is by, uh, none of this surprises you. Uh, and we lean into your word where you say that all things you work for our good and for your glory. And so, um, God, even 
Even when we're not able to, to just sort of worship you in the way that we would have wanted to uh, this afternoon, um, we humbly surrender uh, our time in your word, our songs that we sing, our prayers that we offer. Um, and we just say, God, we love you. You're worth it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, so we're quickly going to go through a little group meditation on John chapter 15. John chapter 15, so if you have a Bible or an app or something like that, you might want to follow along. We're literally going to go just like verse by verse uh, through it. Um, I don't even have like a fancy like three or four point outline. Uh, we're just going to devotionally sort of work our way through uh, John 15, um, beginning in verse 1 all the way to verse 17. And um, look at this is check this out. This is how heavy the word of God is. It's like, <laughs> it won't even stay up for me. Um, cool. We'll just go off my iPad and my phone. Um, so, uh, you know, in the Bible, when the Bible talks about meditating on scripture, like meditating is not about emptying the mind, but it's actually about filling it, filling it with rich truth. Like when, when you talk about, when we hear, normally talk, hear about like medication, med, med, medication uh, meditation rather, uh, from like culturally speaking, uh, we talk about like emptying our minds, right? Like slowing down, finding a still space, finding a still moment and emptying our minds in order to find more peace uh, or to uh, get more done, right? Uh, nothing wrong with that, but uh, that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about biblical meditation. We're talking about filling our minds, not emptying them, filling them with rich truths about who God is, about the grace that he offers, about just the real things in life and our purpose as his people and as his children. And when we meditate on these things, what we find out is that when we meditate on these truths, it starts to shape your thoughts and your dreams. It starts to shape your, your, your values, your actions, the way that we respond to just the everyday stuff of life. And, you know, Psalm 1, uh, the very first Psalm of the Bible, one of the shortest ones, I think it's only six, six verses, it tells us that the person who meditates on God's word is somebody who's blessed, somebody who's nourished, somebody who's fruitful. And so for that reason, I want to humbly suggest that we begin our year right now by focusing on our spiritual growth, by meditating on God's word. Even before you make a move on whatever diet plan you're going to do, whatever meal plan or exercise plan, like let's start by focusing on our spiritual growth. And we're going to do that together this afternoon by meditating on John 15. So look at verse 1. Uh, it won't be up on the screen for you. And so if you, don't, if you don't have a Bible, you can just listen along. John 15, verse 1. Jesus is speaking. And he's speaking to his disciples and to us. And he says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it might bear more fruit. So Jesus is using this metaphor about gardening here. Uh, where, you know, like for plants, in order for plants to flourish, many of them need to be pruned. If you know anything about roses, this is how roses work, right? Like roses have all kinds of vines and stems that go all over the place. And if you want your roses to, 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 to like bloom the way where they look like pretty and smell nice, like the kind of roses that we get at the florist, they got to be pruned appropriately so that the stem can grow straight and so that the vines and thorns don't crowd out the petals and keep them from growing to their full potential. 
That's the metaphor that Jesus is using here. And in verse three, he says, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, this might sound like he's switching gears, right? It's like he was just talking about pruning and, 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 and abiding in him. But now in verse three, he's talking about being clean. Um, but that word clean there in the original language uh, actually means stripped. So it's another word for pruning. So in other words, Jesus is saying, look, because I've taught you, because of the words I've spoken to you, I've already stripped a lot of the bad stuff in your life away. Remember, he's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to his disciples. And so he's saying like, hey, look, because you already know me and because I've already taught you some things, like some of the bad stuff in your life has already been stripped away by me. You guys ever notice how like the more time you spend in the word or the more time you spend in, in prayer, the more time you spend in church, the more fruitful your life becomes, right? Might not be in an instant, might not be like after a week or two, but over the course of time, the more time you spend in the word and in church and in prayer, the more fruitful your life is. And that's because Jesus strips us through his word of the things that we love more than we love him. He wants our hearts. He wants our lives. And it's not because he's some egomaniac. It's because he knows that in him is life to the fullest. It's no, he knows that in him is joy to the fullest. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so he strips us of the things that we love more than him. And so maybe something that we could do practically from that is just pray prayers like, hey, God, would you, would you take out of my life the things that are, are, are keeping me from you? Take the things out of my life where, where, they're, where, where when I want to keep them, it actually makes me lose. And where if I lost it, it would actually make me gain. He continues in verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. And the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. This is like basic botany 101 here, right? Like, like Jesus is saying, look, if you abide in me and I in you, like, then you will bear fruit. And he gives this analogy about branch and a vine. Like a branch will only live and will only thrive if it's connected to the vine, right? In the same way, Jesus is saying, look, we can only truly live, we can only truly thrive, we can only truly grow when we're connected to him as a branch is connected to a vine. The branch itself has no life in and of itself. It only has life when it's connected to the vine, and the life of the vine flows into it. And so in the same way, we have no spiritual life in and of ourselves. We can't work up spiritual life in us by no matter how many good things we do, no matter how many church services we go to, how many prayers we pray, and all this other stuff. Like, like we can do all this religious activity but if we're not connected to Jesus in an intimate way, then no life is going to flow, no real spiritual life is going to flow into us. That word abide in the Greek is the word meno, which means make your home in it, to make your home in. And so this is basic. When Jesus says abide in me, he's like saying, hey, look, make your home in me. Make yourself at home with me. Get comfortable with me. Just, just chill with me, you know? Uh, He's saying, make your home in 
Jesus and his life and his spirit will then flow into you. In verse five, he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's kind of a startling statement, right? Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's like, what do you mean apart from you, I can do nothing? Like, like there's, a lot of, there's a lot of atheists that do a lot of things. You know, there's a lot. I remember before I was a Christian, like I did a lot of things. And so what, 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 does, what does Jesus mean when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing? What he's talking about is spiritual things, things that truly matter. And so when Jesus says, look, apart from me, you can do nothing, he's saying, apart from me, all the stuff that you do aren't things that are going to last. They're not things that are going to count for eternity. They're not things that count for true living. The nothing that he talks about are the, the, the things that won't last forever. And then he says in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now look, he uses some hard words in these verses right here. He says, if you don't abide in me, you'll be thrown away and withered. He says, you're going to be the kind of branch that's gathered up and thrown into the fires of hell. He says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And if you do that, then you'll prove to be my disciple. What he's saying here is he's saying, look, how we abide in him, our relationship with him, our connection with Jesus will prove whether our relationship with him, our attachment to the vine, is real or not. Our abiding in Jesus will prove whether our relationship with him is artificial and external or whether it's real and life-giving. Verse 8, he says our spiritual fruit will prove that we're real disciples. The opposite is true, too. If you don't have spiritual fruit, if you don't show evidence of an ongoing commitment to Jesus, then Jesus says, you don't really belong to me. You're the kind of branch that you look like a branch one day, but in one day you're going to get gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, I know that this kind of talk isn't like super popular with people who are like seeking, right? Um, but... Jesus says this because it's, it's true. And he knows how important it is to be abiding in him. He knows how important it is for us to come to him as a source of all life. Because he knows that like, if we don't, if we get complacent in that place, um, then we end up apart from him forever. Verse 6, he says, if anyone doesn't bear fruit, they're taken away and burned in the fire, saying that they weren't really his disciples at all. And then in verse 9, he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So abide in my love. Now I want us to zoom in and see like how wild and awesome this verse is. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you and abide in my love. 
I want you to think about how much God the Father loves his son, Jesus Christ. Think about how much God the Father loves his son, Jesus Christ. Maybe you have a child yourself. I want you to think about how much you love your own child. And know that no matter how much you think you love your child, like God's love for his son, Jesus, is just even far more beyond comprehension. His love is a perfect love. Our love is imperfect. But his love for Jesus, the father's love for his son, Jesus, is beyond comprehension. It's more than earthly love. And Jesus says, hey, look, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Man, that should make us feel so loved. And then he says, abide in my love. In other words, abide in that love. Jesus is saying, hey, look, make your home in that love. The the kind of love that the Father has for me and the love that I therefore have for you, I want you to make your home in that love. It's a strong love. That's a beyond comprehension love. And he says, make your home there. The water's good. Hang out for a while, right? Just, just, just get, make yourself comfortable. I want to clarify what we mean, what we say when we, we use this word abiding, to make your home somewhere. To abide in Jesus does not mean that you have to do all these things in order to please him, all right? It's not about things you have to do It's about things that you get to do when it comes to Jesus. You see, abiding is about resting in him. And so you read the Bible, not because you have to like it's a chore, but because you get to. Because you've made your home in his love and you're like, wait a second. I get to hear from God? God speaks in his word and I get to hear from him? And you pray not because you have to, again, like, like it's just another chore, but it's because you, you get to. Because you've abided in his love, you, you're saying like, wait a second. So because I'm God's child, because he's adopted me, now I'm part of his family, like when I speak, he actually hears me. He actually turns his ear towards me. He actually cares what I have to say. He listens and he cares. And we go to church not because we have to, as a chore, but again, because we get to, you're like, wait a second. You're saying, this is a family that I get to belong to? People who I otherwise would have had no connection to, who I otherwise would have thought are too weird or too different or whatever, like are now like my brothers and sisters. God has reconciled us. They're, they're my family now, and, and I get to be with these people, not just, not just right now, but forever. I get to enjoy that, what it means to be part of God's family. You see, we, we tend to think that the way that we get righteous is by doing the right things and by acting a certain way, which is, which is uh, an understandable, like, misperception, right? Like, we're thinking, like, okay, if I want to be righteous, I see where I'm at. Righteous, if I were righteous, I would look like this, and so now I'm going to do whatever I, I, I can to make sure that I get there. And so we think that we get righteous by doing the right things and by acting a certain way, but the gospel says, no, that's not how it works. The gospel says, look, you can never be righteous enough. And so you're like, well, how's that good news to me? 
I thought gospel meant good news. The gospel says, look, you can never be righteous enough, but Jesus gives you his perfect righteousness, which is way better than anything you could work up yourself. And he gives it to you as a gift. And he does it out of love. And when you receive that gift, when you receive that love, and you rest in that, you abide in that, you make your home in that, then his life starts to flow in you and through you. And you start to bear fruit, real fruit. Not just in your outward behavior, but in your heart level desires, you start to bear fruit. That's pleasing to the Lord. You see, real Christian living is not about being told what you need to do for God, but by believing and enjoying in what God has done for you. That's it. That's it. Real Christianity isn't about being told what you need to do for God, but by believing in what God has done for you. And then all your righteous living flows out from there. So then does that mean that, well, if we know Jesus, then we can just do whatever the heck we want? Of course, the answer is no, because verse 10 says, if you keep my commandments, Jesus is still speaking here, and he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now notice, this is important, notice he doesn't say, if you keep my commandments, then God will love you. He doesn't say that, right? That's not the gospel. No, God already loves us even when when we didn't love him back, right? No, it says that God loved us first. And one of the ways we stay connected to his love is by keeping his commandments. He already loves us. He already saved us. He's already given us the gift. One of the ways that we enjoy that One of the ways that we abide in that and stay connected to that so that we can flourish, so that we can truly live, is by keeping his commandments. Again, the verse says, if you keep my commandments, then you will abide in my love. Not earn my love, but you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So here's another example. We talked about reading the Bible just a moment ago, right? So we know we should read God's word. But does the Bible say that if you read it, that God will love you more? No, it doesn't say that. Like God doesn't say, hey, look, if you really show, prove, prove, prove to me that you love me by reading a lot, a lot, of, a lot of scripture, right? Uh, and, 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 then, and then I'll accept your invitation and love you back. No, that, that, that's not how it works. It doesn't say that if you read the Bible more, then God will love you more. It doesn't say that anywhere. But if you read the word, what will happen is you'll be reminded of the truth of God's grace. You'll start rehearsing his love for you. And that will cause you to rest and abide in his love more and more. You'll start to make yourself at home in his love more and more. He continues in verse 11, and he says, these things I've spoken to you 
And so he's basically saying, look, everything that I set up until now about the vine and the dresser and like all this stuff that I've talked to you, talking about to you up until now, all these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be full. Man, that, that should be heartwarming. That should be good news for us, that these things that Jesus speaks to us, this talk about abiding in him and resting in his love, he's saying, look, I'm speaking these things to you so that my joy is in you and so that your joy may be full. What does that tell us? Jesus wants your joy to be full. He wants your happiness to be complete. He wants you to be whole. And so look, if you look at Christian living as a burden, you're looking at it wrong. You're treating it wrong. Like that's a good indicator that you've, you've got a misplaced understanding of the gospel. Is that if you look at Christian living as a burden and as boring, then you're looking at it wrong. No, Jesus is after our joy. It's being able to say with the psalmist in Psalm 16, I have no good apart from you. I've got nothing good apart from you. I mean, when you truly understand that God makes miserable, guilty sinners blessed and joyful in him, that no matter how many times we screw up, by no matter how many seasons of dry spirituality we walk ourselves to, no matter, how, no matter if we're in a season of backsliding, like, like God always has his arms open. He's always after our joy. He's always saying, hey, look, you don't have to prove to me that you love me. You don't have to prove to me anything in order for me to love you. I just love you, and I want you to come to that. I want you to rest in that. I want you to make your home in that good news. And look at verse 12 now. Here's what that means for our relationships with others now. In verse 12, he says, Jesus says, this is my commandment, which is, which is his way of saying, hey, look, this is something unique that I'm giving you as my followers that has not been said before in, scriptures, in Scripture. He says, verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. By the way, I like telling my friends that. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Um, doesn't work for me the way it works for Jesus, though. Uh, verse 15, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. I want you to notice that Jesus is talking here again to a group of his followers, to a group of Christians, to the very first group of pastors that would plant churches. And he tells them, he says, hey, look, you followers of me, the one unique commandment that I give you that has not been given in Scripture before now is that you love one another the same way that I have loved you. 
You see, that tells us that the local church, where God's people gather, the local church family should be the one place where God's love and his grace should be the most tangible, should be the most potent. And look, we live, we live in a moment of time where, like, with culture wars and things like that, um, like, people are canceling each other left and right, right? Like, it is a hateful and spiteful atmosphere out there. You got people on one side saying, look, I can't be, stand being with anyone who thinks differently than me. I can't stand being anybody who, 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 who looks differently, sounds differently, votes differently than me. And anybody who's not where I'm at is stupid, not worth my time, not worth my attention. But Jesus is saying, no, hey, look, you who belong to me love one another in the same way that I've loved you. How did he love us? To the point where he gave up his power. He gave up his position in a high place to come down in a manger. Live a life that we could never live. How much did he love us? That he lived obediently on our behalf, knowing that we never could. That we could fail again and again and again. How much did he love us? That he would, at the end of his life, take up a cross after being betrayed, accused, beaten. And he would hang on that cross in our place for our sins. See, the Bible says when you really get the gospel, when you really get the gospel of grace, you'll start to shed your self-righteous pride. You'll go from saying, God, I'm thankful I'm not like that guy, to saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You'll start to love other Christians the way that Jesus loved us. You'll start to love unbelievers the way that Jesus loved us. And that's how we should love one another. Now, we can't, we should love one another the way that Jesus loved us. Now, that doesn't mean that we can atone for each other's sins, right? Like, obviously, we can't do that. But in some way and in some fashion, we should be willing to lay our lives down for one another. We should be willing to empathize with each other's weaknesses. So when we see somebody struggling, we don't look at the other person and saying, like, man, this guy doesn't, just doesn't get it, right? Like, if he, if he just got the word like I did, if he just loved Jesus the way I did... It means that we look at somebody, we empathize with their weakness, and we love them the way that Jesus loved us when we didn't deserve it. You see, the church should be a place of safety for repentant sinners. We should have a culture of forgiveness, of grace, of love, and encouragement. Not of guilt, shame, and judgment. Jesus said, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Elsewhere, Jesus says this. He says, the way that the world is going to know that you're my disciples is by your love for one another. 
the way that the world is going to know that you belong to the risen Jesus, the King of grace, is by the way that you love others who also love Jesus, others who Jesus also loved and also died for. You see, our, our spiritual family that we have in Christ is going to long outlive and transcend even our biological families. The people we're going to hang with and sing with and eat good food and drink good wine with at the marriage supper of the Lamb throughout all eternity, as Revelation speaks of, are not the people that you have, like, you like the same kind of bands, you, have, you share the same kind of hobbies, you root for the same teams. No, it's going to be your family, your spiritual family that's been blocked bought by the blood of Jesus. A family that's made up of people from every nation, from every tongue, from every color, every class, every century, every generation, from kings down to peasants, from business tycoons down to slaves, from blue collar to white collar, Western, Eastern, Southern Hemisphere, Northern Hemisphere, Hemisphere, throughout the ages, worshiping the risen Jesus Christ and enjoying the greatest party that you and I have ever been to for all eternity. And so by abiding in his love and by loving one another, we get in some way a foretaste of what we're going to enjoy doing for all eternity. And so let's abide in him. Get our practice in now. I want us to spend just a quick moment in silent prayer before we transition into communion. For this time in prayer, um, I want us to pray for just a few things based on this text. One, I want you to pray that you would be fruitful in the spirit, that we as a church would be fruitful in the spirit. Jesus says if you truly belong to him, that you're going to bear much fruit. I want you to notice the characteristics of fruit. Fruit is natural, it's noticeable, and it's nourishing, right? Right? It's natural. That means it's not contrived. It's not forced. It's noticeable. That means people actually notice that there's something different about you, and it's nourishing. It's actually good for you. It's good, like your spiritual fruit is good. Your family benefits. Your neighborhood benefits. Your your workplace benefits. A vine doesn't have to just sit there straining hard to produce grapes. It It just does. It's natural, and you start to notice them. I want you to pray things like, God, would you take, I mentioned this prayer earlier, like, God, would you take out of our lives whatever's keeping, whatever is just where we're 
take out of, the, out of our lives the things where when we keep them, we actually end up losing. And where if we were to lose them, we would end up gaining. So I want you to spend a moment right now and just uh, pray for spiritual fruit in your own life and the life of our church. God, we, we pray that you would make us a people that are fruitful, where our relationship with you is real, it's authentic, it's genuine, and that we bear real spiritual fruits that is noticed by others and nourishing for their souls. Next, I want us to pray. Um, that we would be prayerful. It's kind of an odd prayer request, right? Like pray that we would be prayerful. But he said in verse seven, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you desire and it'll be done for you. Man, with a promise like that, like why don't we pray more? Why don't we believe this? And I think the reason is because there are in that verse conditions to this promise. First, it says you must abide in Jesus. Second, he must abide in you. And third, his words, scripture must also abide in you. And what he says is when you do that, then your desires will start to become his desires. And then when he says you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you, will become true for you. And so I would like to, us to just take a moment to pray that we would be, um, that you would be a prayerful person and that we would be a prayerful church. Next, next, I'd like you to pray that you would understand what it means to be truly joyful in Christ. True, lasting, authentic joy is one of the things that our world craves the most. And it's the very thing that Jesus promises us. Here, he says, I say these things that your joy may be full. And so the question is, are we willing to abide in him in order to get it, to grow in abiding in him in order to be truly joyful. So let's, let's pray that we would be a joyful people, infectiously joyful. Lastly, I want to invite you to pray that you would just, that we would do a better job of just loving one another. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. 
So that means as you, as you lean into the church, as you show up consistently, you seek to care for one another. And man, I've seen so many of the families of the church already do that with families of people who've been hospitalized for one reason or another, jobs that were lost, uh, tragedy that they've gone through. As you guys gave money to support um, other churches uh, in, in, uh, throughout our network, uh, to give to uh, the refugees that were at that church on the East Coast, to support the elderly in our community that we're trying to, to, to reach to, and to also be loving towards one another. And so as you show up consistently, seek to care for one another, that we would have a posture that, 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 that our posture would not be, hey, what can I get out of this, this church thing? But, but that our posture would be, hey, because I've been so loved by Jesus, how can I love others in my church family well? How can I live out this love another well? And so let's, let's pray that we would love one another better. Father, we lift up these things to you in Jesus' name, that we would be a people that bear fruit, real fruit, noticeable fruit, nourishing fruit, that we would be a prayerful people that is just wholly and completely dependent on you, abiding in you, abiding in your word to the point where we even find our desires start to change. Our desires start to become your desires. So much to the point that whatever we start to ask of you, as your word promises, it'll be done for us. Would you make us a joyful people? A joyful that's not fake that or contrived, not where we have to put on this mask, but a real joy, the joy that Jesus talks about, that our joy may be complete, that our joy may be full. God, we want the world to know. We want our families to know. We want our neighbors to know that you are worth more than anything. We want them to know that by the way that we find our fullest joy in you, God. That our deepest yearnings, that our deepest satisfaction is not found in the things of the earth, but in the one who made the earth. And would you help us, God, to be more loving towards one another? Forgive us for ways that we've been complacent. Forgive us for ways that I've been just judgmental um, or cynical. Forgive us for, for ways um, that we've just been maybe even bored with one another, not realizing how significant and wonderful and beautiful and glorious and eternity lasting, our brothers and sisters in our church family are. Would you help us to love one another more? Love other churches, love what you're doing through your church in uh, 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 just all throughout the world. And would you make that love so compelling that the people in our lives who don't know you or love you or worship you 
would find themselves just magnetically drawn to that, to where they say, man, I want, I want to get in on that. I want a relationship with the Lord like that. I want that kind of joy. I want to experience that kind of love. We pray these things, God. Because we know that our Lord Jesus cares about them. He taught us about them. He wants us to be formed by these things. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do that. Not for our glory, but for Christ's glory. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite Danny to come up and introduce communion for us. And then we'll sing a couple more songs together while we receive communion. uh, And then leave from here. Yeah, as Chris said, uh, we're about to take uh, the Lord's Supper together as a church family. Um, And I'm particularly grateful just to gather together uh, on this Lord's Day um, as a saints. Um, When when something is uh, looks a little bit different, it maybe makes you appreciate it even more. Um, And we talked about how Christ is uniquely present here as we gather together. Um, on his day. Um, He's also uniquely present in a spiritual way when we take the Lord's Supper together. Um, There's also a horizontal nature to what we're about to do. Um, We talked about uh, unity as believers, and uh, there's something special that takes place when we feast on the Lord's Supper together. Um, We're unified together as believers in a very special way. Um, So we invite you to the Lord's table. We've got wine and juice elements, and uh, we invite you to take them back at your seats. Um, Let me just close our time with a benediction from Romans 15. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Verse 13. Extend a hand and receive this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.